0: morning, church family. It's uh, good to be here. And uh, we are starting a brand new sermon series called The Heartbeat of a Healthy Church. The Heartbeat of a Healthy Church. And the beginning of this message is kind of going to be like family time. So if you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here. And you're going to be able to hear more about our church family. And this is wonderful that you're here. But to, all, to those of us who've been here and consider Evergreen Baptist Church our home... This is going to be kind of a message uh, initially that really addresses some things from my heart. I just want to give you my perspective over the last six years or so. It was August 6, 2016. I was driving on the I-90, that's the freeway in Seattle that goes east and west. I was driving away from Seattle. I think it was a Sunday night. And that's when Pastor Corey gave me a call. Pastor Corey, for you guests, was our senior pastor for 42 years. And this is where he asks me and lets me know uh, what he's been thinking. And he says, would you be interested in being my successor as the next senior pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church? And so... That was in my mind. So for the next five months or so during the football season, we're right in the middle of training camp trying to win some games, and Charlotte and I were praying through this. Is this what you have for us, God? Talking to other brothers and sisters, is this what you have for us, God? Searching the scriptures, is this what you have for us, God? And by the end of 2016, we both came to the conviction of, yes, this is what God has for us. We believe in our heart of hearts that we've been called to serve here and to pastor Evergreen Baptist Church of St. Gabriel Valley. And during that time, it was very encouraging for me because I, we were already thinking about this. We were already fighting and talking about it, maybe thinking or fighting about it for quite some time, maybe five years or so before I even got this phone call. And during that time, I'm thinking and, and reading scripture and consulting pastors, and what would I emphasize if I was ever called to serve as a pastor of a local church? And I've shared this before, but I want to, for the benefit of everybody, to kind of review this again. And five things were written down on paper, but also on my heart. The five things were this, and this is the same things that I disclosed to Pastor Corey in our conversations plural, many conversations that we've had, and number one, we'd preach the Bible. We'd preach the Bible. Number two, I was growing in a conviction for biblical counseling. We need to counsel one another with the Word of God. Number three, I believe that although historically Evergreen Baptist Church has been an English-speaking Asian-American ministry, I believe God wanted... The San Gabriel Valley, to minister to San Gabriel Valley. Whoever would want to learn more about Christ to come on in. And that's been great to see how the church has embraced that. We have a Spanish language ministry now, so that's a huge movement in that direction. Number four was the Bible teaches that eldership is how churches are led. Eldership. And number five, I need to raise up the men of Evergreen Baptist Church. That, that's kind of, those are the five things that I shared. Eventually, I'd share it to the, the, the board at the time, and eventually, I'd share it to the church from the pulpit. And so that was the start. That's sort the of start. And in August of 2017, a whole year later, I started on staff as a senior pastor in waiting. I think that was my title. And then within the first year now, this is just some context as we're moving into this series through Titus. Within the first year, we started moving towards eldership. You know, Pastor Corey and his kindness said, hey, let me help. I've been growing in this conviction as well. While I'm here, let me help move the church to eldership. I said, that's a great idea. And I even preached an a, a eldership series on on January of 2019 and, and February of 2019 talking about why we need to be have elders at Evergreen Baptist Church, why it's so biblical. I mean, I remember talk, preaching about this, but After several town halls, right, and countless conversations, I don't know how many conversations I've had publicly and privately, it was very clear that although, yes, God calls us to get to eldership and to lead the church to elders, we weren't ready for that as a church. And that was a good lesson for me as a new senior pastor. Like, okay, hold on. Yes, this is what the Bible says, but the timing must be right. And... Just to give you my perspective, just so we could... You know how I like to use the same letters, and you know, I have four T's. This is not part of the sermon, but this is just for your listening and, and to understand what I've been thinking. I came up with four T's and why it wasn't right. Four T's and the letter T. Number one, training. I needed to be trained. I needed to learn more about what eldership was all about. I needed to train the leaders around me to understand what eldership was about. Because as we were discussing eldership, as we were even presenting eldership, I was like, that's not quite how I see that. So we weren't even unified now. Now we're much more unified. Now we've been trained. Uh, God has sent uh, other mentors and other people to help me and help our team learn more about what eldership is all about. Number two, trust this is a big one. This is perhaps the, one of the bigger ones. Meaning, Pastor Corey was here for 42 years. I just showed up. Trust. It was a relational thing. Relational thing. This is just like a family. This is like a family. Number three, teaching. Some of these men, from, other elders from outside the church, have said, Rocky, yes, I love the conviction. you got to get the eldership. But you got to teach the people. you got to feed the sheep. Teach, 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 teach. And then... They'll begin to say, why aren't we going to eldership? So we're teaching. That's what pastors do. We teach through the Bible. Number four, this is a big one too, transition. Transition. And the Evergreen Baptist Church of 2018 or 19 is not the same church that we are today of 2023. And I, I and, as I thought about it at this time, we ha- were able to go through COVID season, we were able to go through people moving and leaving and coming. and now, as I look out, other than if you're a guest, I just, this is our church family. This is who we who God has formed to be Evergreen Baptist Church of St Gabriel Valley. I mean, how hard would that have been if we installed elders back then, and all of a sudden our church was forming and, and shaping. And this is is our church family right now, for the most part. So, of course, things could change and all that. But as I look out, I think this is our church family. That's how I feel. And so uh, those four T's were very clear as it wasn't the right time, although conviction-wise, never backed off. And what I said back then in 2019 is this, we're going to get to eldership someday, but not right now. Just because, as, as Brother Steve Chan read, shepherd a flock of God among you, not lording it over. Right? Be gentle with the sheep. You know where you got to go, but be gentle. Right? And, and that's all the things that, as a pastor, that the Lord has been teaching me. In some ways, to be the father of the church in some ways. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. That's an analogy, if you're new to Christianity, that's a metaphor that the Bible uses to describe uh, the church. Jesus Christ is the head. I'm not the head. Jesus Christ, the Lord himself, is the head of the church. And every single member is the body parts of the church. And through this series, I'm going to argue and explain through Titus that the elders set the tone for the church, under Christ, in other words, we the elders will serve as the heartbeat of Evergreen Baptist Church. In order to have a healthy body, you need to have a healthy heartbeat. And the elders will serve to set the tone for what's important in the church. So we'll set the tone on what we need to guard against. Set the tone on how we care and love for one another. Set the tone on what discipleship relationships look like. So this is... This is, elders are critical in order to have generational health, not just one, uh, one year or another. I'm, we're talking generations. We're not even talking about one generation. We're talking about our grandchildren and beyond until the Lord returns. So now that we're, um, we're heading to our seventh year together, some of us, right? Uh, this is going to be a nine-sermon series out of the book of Titus. And like I said, it's the heartbeat of a healthy church. And every week, we're not going to address every single aspect of eldership, but we're going to cover specific aspects. And really, this is not going to be like I'm proving that eldership is the right thing to do. That's not really it. In the last sermon series, that was more like, I'm going to show you through the Bible, this is what elders are called to lead the church. This is more about the necessity of elders in order to have a healthy local church. So week after week, after these nine sermons are kind of link the the necessity of elders in leading and setting the tone, the heartbeat for the local church. Okay, so this is kind of just giving you a series overview before we get into the sermon series. So if you have your Bible, um, please turn to Titus chapter one, one through five. We intend to go through the entire book in those nine uh, ser- sermons. We're not going to be able to go. Um, inductively super detailed on every sermon but nine sermons will cover the entire book but our intention is to teach the book of Titus so as you're turning there, it's towards the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. If you have your phones, just click on Titus chapter 1. And a little bit of context before we read these first five verses. The context is this. Paul's writing to Titus is understudy. Paul, a trained up pastors, trained up elders, and he's writing to one of his children in the faith. And this is similar to First and Second Timothy where Paul writes to a specific individual as he cares for a church or region of churches, and this is called the Pastoral Letters, where Paul's writing to pastors. So if you are aspiring to eldership or to serve as a pastor someday, you need to read First and Second Timothy and Titus. You need to know these portions well. This is the manual for pastors, sort to of speak, on how to care for their, our own souls, but also care for the church. And now Titus has been tasked with an amazingly difficult task. I mean, this is a ridiculous task that Paul uh, instructs Titus on. I mean, this is a significant task. There are pre-existing churches, churches plural. I mean, we know how difficult it it has been in our transition. But now Titus has to care for churches on the island of Crete to ensure the generational health when Paul is gone now. When Paul's in heaven, he wants to know that the churches are going to be fine. And there's strong opposition in these churches. There's false teachers. There's incredible challenges through the culture. The Crete was known as a very worldly place. So let's rise as we read Titus chapter 1, 1 through 5 together. This is a longer greeting, but a greeting that sets the tone for the entire book a greeting that sets the tone for the sermon series. And this is where the first four verses, Paul is greeting Titus, but in it he's encouraging our brother in the faith. So let's read Titus chapter 1, 1 through 5 together. Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the full knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised from all eternity but at the proper time manifested his word in preaching with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my genuine child, according to our common faith. Common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse five. For this reason I left you in Crete that you will set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city As I directed you, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture. I pray, Father, that you will lift our eyes to heaven and see how great of a father that you are through this portion. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Sermon title. Now that, now we're into the sermon here. Sermon title is Healthy Fathers. Healthy Fathers. And you're saying, Pastor Rocky, I thought we were talking about eldership. What does healthy fathers have to do with eldership? I thought eldership was about a government structure or some kind of a uh, way to uh, lead the church. What is this all about? Well, in order to understand eldership, we need to understand fatherhood. This is what this is about. Elders are fathers of the local church. And this is a relational issue. God teaches us how we are to relate to him, how God relates to us, and how we are to relate to our leaders. So in order to understand eldership, we need to take time to understand what fatherhood is about. And, and we're going to see through the scripture, uh, scriptures how fatherhood has been handed down from heaven to, down to us 2,000 years later in 2023 at Evergreen Baptist Church. So let's get to the first point. Healthy fathers begin with the eternal father, the eternal father. Just look with me through your Bible here. In this portion, God is saturating these pages here. Just in these first four verses, you got God's slave, that's Paul. You got God's elect, that's every single Christian. You got God's promise of eternal life. You got in verse three, you got his word or God's word. In verse 3, you got God our Savior, and in verse 4, God the Father. God, 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 God. God is all over this portion here. Before we even begin talking about anything, we need to talk about God the Father. You see, eldership starts with the eternal Father himself. It starts with God. God the Father tells us how he relates to us, how we relate to him. God the Father tells us his role in caring for his people. And as a father of the church, God fathered the church. And in verse 1, let me show you where it says, for the faith of God's elect, verse 1. Number 1, he adopted us. Ephesians 1, 4-5 says, he's chosen us before the foundations of the earth to be holy and blameless. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons. God the Father fathered us by choosing us to be his sons and daughters. You see how fathering begins with the, our eternal father right from the beginning? Romans 8, 15 says we have not been given a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. But we the spirit of adoptions which we cry out, Abba, Father, that's right. It's a relational connection, Church. This is not just God is up in heaven, as Pastor Jeremy talked about, and is completely disconnected to his children. He's very involved with us and has never left his children. Before we were even born, before we even thought to our parents or our grandparents' minds, God the Father chose us to be his sons and daughters. He adopted us out of the orphanage of the world to be his children. Verse 2 says this, Look at what, how else he's fathered us in the hope of eternal life, which the God who cannot lie promised from all eternity. He gave us life. He made us born again. He had a plan to give us newness of life. And it, isn't it so comforting, church, how it says the God who cannot lie? That means you can believe every word that he speaks. Isn't that what good fathers do? I want to just say this ahead of time. This may be a difficult message for some of us here. On an earthly level, maybe you have not had a good father. Obviously, all of us have imperfect fathers. But I want to get our eyes into heaven, what the standard is. Our heavenly father, how he perfectly loves us. This is the goal here. This is not necessary to reflect upon your own fathers, although they may have been good fathers. The idea is here is to get our eyes into heaven and to look into the Heavenly Father's eyes right now as a church. And it says he cannot lie. Everything that he says happens, and it's going to happen. But how did God, the Father, father his church? I'm going to go to a, a very known Christmas verse here, Isaiah 9-6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called, what? Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Talking about Christ. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. God the Father fathered us through Christ himself, his son. He sent his son to die for sinners like you and me. So if you're new to Christianity, this is what this, this uh our religion is about. The truth is about that Jesus Christ, God Himself, came to die for His creation. Or Christ Jesus took on human flesh, lived the perfect life, and died on the cross, took on the wrath of God. He says, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. The church is his sheep. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep so that you and I can be given newness of life, so that you and I could be adopted into the family of God, so that we could be considered God's children, so that we could call God, Abba, Daddy, our Father. This is what, we're, this is what has happened. And, and as we know, God is different from other earthly fathers, Sadly, fatherhood has diminished in some ways. And where we think, some men think that fathering is all about procreating. Some fathers are, know how to have babies, but they're not around anymore. And I've seen this in, in, in my old coaching world. I've had a lot of players, I was blessed to coach, who come from single parents. And where fathers know, the hard work happens after birth. I mean, this is where it's at, where you're committed to not only procreate, but you're committed to raise up your sons and daughters. This is what fatherhood is about. This is in twenty. according to a US census of 2022, 18.4 million children go home without a father. One in four children in America have a home without a father. That's a significant issue there. And and this is where God is different. God doesn't just give us life or I'm going to save you and just leave us alone, as Pastor Jeremy talked about. God the Father gives us life, but he also he trains us in fathers, every single one of his children. So understanding eldership, it goes right back to the eternal Father, how he has fathered us and given us newness of life through the spiritual rebirth, but also he's continued to father us. And how do you do that, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. God the Father fathers us by fathering, next point, the entrusted apostolic fathers. God raised up other men after Christ to make sure the message of the gospel has been handed down from Jesus Christ to the apostles. This is how it works. Num- verse number one here, again. Verse one, Paul, who's Paul? He, how he describes himself as a slave of God. Your version may say servant or bondservant. The word is doulos, which means slave. Paul saw himself as a slave of God where he says, God, you own me. God, you are my master. God, you purchased me through the death of your son. God, you are the one who I live for. And then Paul will go on to say, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle, what is that? That simply means messenger or sent out one. But Paul wasn't just any messenger or sent out ones. He was, uh, he was part of the special class, just like the 12 disciples, like Peter, James, and John. All right, Paul was a special messenger from Christ who would give new revelation about Christ before the New Testament was written. Men like these were critical to, in order to continue on the faith, to continue on the message of the gospel which saves and sanctifies. In Galatians 1, Paul describes how Jesus personally handpicked him to serve as an apostle and how Jesus spent three years with him, the resurrected Christ, training him the truths of what he needed to uh, teach everyone after him. So these uh, disciples or apostles, the capital letter A apostles, so to speak, were a special select group, Peter, James, and John, Paul. And they are personally sent out by the Lord. And there are no more more apostles anymore. There are no more apostles. We have the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. They worked, the prophets and apostles worked to develop the Bible. We have even something more sure. We could just reference the Bible anytime we want to hear from God. This is the revelation that we've been given. And There's no new revelation apart from the Bible. So this is Paul. He saw himself clearly as a slave of God and a messenger of Jesus Christ. But what was the purpose? Let's look at verse 1 again. Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. Comma, here it is. This is his purpose. For the faith of God's elect and the full knowledge of the truth, which is according to God, Godliness. He had a two-fold purpose. Guess what it was? For the faith of God's elect, then evangelize the lost. Evangelize God's elect. That's number one. To share the gospel so that people could experience new birth. Number two. For the, for, uh, for the full knowledge of the truth, which is according or leading to godliness. Preaching the word of God so that people become more like Christ. This is evangelism and edification. This was Paul's purpose, to evangelize the lost and edify the saints. To save the, the lost, to sanctify the saints. This is what his role was. This is a twofold ro- role that he had. And this, in, in other words, Paul's purpose to fulfill the Great Commission and it's interesting here at Evergreen Baptist Church, what is our central theme? That's right, discipleship. Central theme of our church is discipleship. And what are the goals of discipleship? It's the same as Paul's, to evangelize and edify one another. <laughs> That's why we exist here. So if you're a guest and you're not a believer, our hope unashamedly, is that you will come to Christ and become a saved man or saved woman. That's what we hope. And if, you, and if you are a saved person, our hope is that we help each other build up Christ-likeness in one another. This is why we're here. In verse 3, this Paul says, is what are the means of his uh, how he would uh, disciple? But at the proper time, verse 3, manifested his word in preaching with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior, the Word of God. There it is. These are the fundamentals of the faith. Evangelize and edify and use God's Word. That's what this is about. Clearly, you see Paul's philosophy and ministry laid out right here in the first couple verses of Titus. This is what apostles did. This is what Paul did. And he was entrusted to preach God's Word. And isn't it comforting, church, where verse 2 says, God who cannot lie... You need to take that home with you. God cannot lie? What does that mean? That means that every word that you see in the scriptures, you can count on. As long as you understand what it's saying, you could go to the grave believing all these things because the God who cannot lie authored the Bible. That's exactly why apostles use the word of God to evangelize and to edify other people. Let me read you Paul's other philosophy of ministry, which he says the same thing. In Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, or in other words, we preach Christ, Paul says, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We preach Christ so that people will come to Christ and become more like Christ. That's what Paul's saying. For this purpose, I also labor, striving, straining according to the, to his working, which he, he works in me in power, according to the Spirit of God that I was working in Paul. Paul was all in with this, uh, with this effort to try to evangelize and to edify. Paul knew exactly who he was. Church, it's been amazing. We've, uh, I've been a part of a men's discipleship on Saturday morning that we began and we met two times already and it's been super encouraging and we just meet basically we open up the bible or talks uh, 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 concepts that are taught in the bible and then we break up and we pray for each other and we kind of connect with each other uh, throughout the weeks and one thing i shared is is recently with the group was an interview by my old boss coach carol and one of our old players interviewed him, and I was, he, my player sent it to me, and I was listening to it, and it brought back a lot of good memories, but also served as a really good reminder. Coach Carroll's basically giving a secret to his leadership. I mean, it's not a big secret, but he was explaining basically how he's been successful over these years as a football coach, and this is a secret, knowing who you are. Knowing who you are. And he would, he would challenge the staff. I don't think this is an interview, but he would challenge us and say, in 20 words or less, tell me who you are. In 20 words or less, tell me who you are. He'd say that to people and challenge that. And so as a leader, he wanted to reproduce himself. He wanted to reproduce himself and how he would describe himself. I'm a competitor. That's it. I am a competitor. That's how he would describe himself. And as he would try to lead, he would basically try to replicate more people like him. Not exactly, but thinking in his way to build a strong team. I mean, like begets like, right? I mean, we get that. So he wanted to build up more competitors. And I guess the point that he would make... To me and to others, and maybe this our discipleship group is this: if you don't know yourself very well, it's hard to reproduce yourself. Because as just the world changes and and different urgencies and different concerns arise constantly, you're going to be swept back and forth like the wind, back and forth, back and forth. But if you know who you are, you're going to be anchored, and no matter how windy it gets, you're going to keep moving north in that direction. So Paul knew exactly who he was. Who was he? He was a slave of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. God owns me, and I'm here to preach about Jesus Christ. What is it to do to disciple people? Evangelize and edify one another. Very clear. How did he do it? He preached the word. That was who Paul was. And this is what made him extremely effective and useful in the hands of the mighty God in heaven. Therefore, church, what, what is the whole point of this? Let's be very clear on who we are, individually, but also as a church. Who are we at Evergreen Baptist Church? Our foundation, we're about Christ. I mean, you can go outside in the lobby and see the, the, the uh, poster that we have out there in the lobby. We're about Christ. Unashamedly, we are about Jesus Christ. And what is the central theme? Is discipleship. We are here to evangelize and edify as many people that the Lord allows us to do. And we're going to do it together. And what does discipleship look like? How we like to describe it, guess, what does a discipleship relationship look like here at Evergreen Baptist Church? We want to be involved in intentional relationships that build Christ likeness. Intentional relationships that build Christ likeness through the ministry of the Word. This is what we do. We want to be having relationships, friendships with one another here at Evergreen to help each other become more like Christ. That's really the essence of what we're trying to do here. So this is what the apostle did. The apostle Paul, Peter, James, John, others, they this is what they were built to do. And this is what they did faithfully by God's grace. Paul planted churches. Many people came to Christ through his ministry. But he also knew that the, he would outlive his children, his spiritual children, would outlive him. He knew he'd be headed towards heaven someday. And Paul, I believe, as best I could tell. But many commentators believe that Titus, this book, was written between his first imprisonment in Rome and his second imprisonment in Rome. What happened is he was in prison in Rome. He gets, he gets released. He writes this letter, perhaps. And in the second imprisonment, he's in prison and eventually executed and goes, goes to heaven. So this is the, towards the end of his ministry. Perhaps he's been an apostle for 30 years. But he knew this. That the end was coming and he needs to make sure he reproduced so that the faith could continue on. So, the third point is this the generations continue through the entrusted church fathers. Turn with me to verse 4. The entrusted church fathers, verse 4. To Titus, my genuine child, according to our common faith. To Titus. Paul's genuine child. Many people think that Paul actually evangelized Titus. Minimally, he he edified him and, and built him up to be a pastor. He had two spiritual sons that we know about among many, but two stand out, Titus and Timothy. Timothy is similar in this way. Timothy is a pastor. Paul calls him his genuine child, similar to Titus, but also calls him his beloved child. 2 Timothy 1, in the other pastoral letter, it describes Lois, Timothy's grandmother, and Eunice, his mother, and how they had the faith, how they helped pass it down to Timothy. But what about Timothy's father? This is pretty rare. Usually you mention the father or the men of the family. So the fact that Paul never mentions Timothy's father means he either was dead or non-believing Greek. He was, a non-believer. he was a non-believer. This is where Paul stepped in into Timothy's life and Father Timothy and trained him up. This is where Paul stepped in. I talked about earlier fatherlessness, and uh, like I said, through my experiences, particularly as a coach, I mean, I've seen some amazing mothers, I mean, valiant women who would, without husbands or fathers, care for their sons, sons and daughters, and it was amazing. I mean, mothers are... women are usually more intuitive and understand the need to care for children right i mean this is how most women are and sadly with men it's not always intuitive sadly with men i'm grateful to see a lot of great fathers here but sadly with some men it's not as intuitive they need to be taught And, and, and oftentimes men need to teach men this is how this works Men need to teach other men, young men. Men need to uh, hold young men accountable. Men need to be loved by other men. This is how men are built up to do these things, to act as a father. Because left alone, uh, without any training, any uh, care, uh, oftentimes we sadly follow our sinful patterns. But when men are fathered well, Men become powerful weapons in the hands of a mighty God. This is the key here, brothers. I want to just, where do, these, where do these players find father figures without dads at home? Oftentimes it was the coaches. What a privilege. What a privilege of a lifetime. Oftentimes it was an uncle. Oftentimes it was a grandfather. In the church, we need spiritual fathers in the church. Brothers, you need to be looking out beyond our own families. Certainly our first priority is our homes. I understand that, but we need to be on the lookout for those who we can step in and step in with and to care for other people. Those who need a spiritual father to step in. In that sense, the church is cared by spiritual fathers. It's not, nothing's perfect, I understand that. But brothers, we need to be looking for situations. Are there, where, where are the single mothers at? Where are those who have a non-believing husband? Where can we enter in and just encourage? Where can we do this? That's what men are called to do. That's what men are called to do. Verse 5, uh, let's turn our attention to verse 5, and then we'll apply uh, this portion to our church here. Verse 5, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you will send order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Paul wanted spiritual grandbabies, right? <laughs> he didn't just want Titus, he wanted spiritual grandbabies. He wanted, he wanted Titus to be able to reproduce. Crete was an amazing place. It still exists. If we want to go visit there, the the pictures look amazing. got the blue waters. It's right in the Mediterranean Sea. It's quite a large area. It's about uh, 3,200 square miles. It's a big area. What does that mean? It's five times the uh, the size of Oahu. So if you know what Oahu is like, it's five times that. And And the accounts say that there are many cities, (laughs) <laughs> Titus needs to take care of all those cities. I mean, my goodness. How do you do that? But then the Bible says this, he needs to set an order. Verse 5. I left you a that you will set an order. Or, this word ortho is like where you get the word for orthodontics. Like I had crooked teeth at one time, and orthodontists helped me straighten our teeth. So Titus's role was to straighten out what was crooked. In the churches of Crete. I mean, like I said, verse ten and eleven of verse of chapter one says that there were many rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, false teachers were there. Rebellious people were in the churches. And it was Titus's job to address these things. Verse 12, it says, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, and this talk is a commentary on how horrible or worldly Crete was. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Okay, this is so Crete was a very worldly place. I think of whatever you want in our country, that was that for Crete. Crete had that type of reputation. And go, okay, Titus, go there and get all the churches in order, could you? <laughs> wow. First order of business, what is the first order of business Paul says to do? after you, To set things in order, appoint, Elders in every city, as I directed you. It starts with the leadership. Titus, you can't be putting out all these fires, but you need to establish and raise up godly leadership, Titus. In other words, recognize who the church fathers are, who's already doing it, and train them up and appoint them as elders under my authority. And this is elders in every city, not just an elder. Elders, plurality of church fathers. Acts 14.23 says set elders in every city. Maybe that's what, what Paul's saying here is that the, every local church is to be led by a group of fathers. Sometimes in unique situations, maybe there's only one, but that, that's not, that shouldn't be the case here. There's a group of godly men, elders or fathers, who care for the church. Who protect the church from false doctrine? Who help counsel other herding sheep? Who serve and minister to those who are hurting, to, to uh, who teach and who administer the Word of God in private, in formal and informal settings. This is exactly what happens in a home, isn't it, fathers? This is what we do in the church. In the church. This is something that I've mentioned earlier, one of the five things that were an emphasis to raise up the men. And I thought to myself, man, in these five years, have I done that? Have I been focused on that? I mean, there have been so many things going on and just to get my own life in order, you know. And I thought about it, and it's like, wow, the Lord is gracious. How have I spent my time other than studying the scriptures and preparing to preach and teach? Basically, I spend a lot of my time with the pastors on Tuesday. Then there's an the executive board team that has been formed and God is discipling us to various challenges and things that happen. What a great thing. Then on Thursday mornings, I, I'm able to meet with a group of men and go through the word and we disciple each other. And then we just started the Saturday men's discipleship group and I'm, I was actually encouraged. I said, wow, Lord, I, I didn't re- quite realize it so much, but the more I think about it, it's happening. And you may be sitting there like, Pastor, aren't there women in the church too? <laughs> right? Like, are you going to spend time with us? Are, are, are we in emphasis? Absolutely. We're working on some things, but I will say this much. Leadership begins in the home and in the church with the men. Just like what Paul says here As I directed you, appoint elders in every city. First and foremost, find the leaders, find the men, find the fathers of the church, and train them. This is what we hope to do here. Now let's apply this portion to our church. Let's get really personal here now. I hope you could see the progression. God the Father, the eternal Father, births and cares for His church by sending Christ His Son. Then Christ His Son up trains and appoints and sends out apostles like Paul, Peter, James, and John, and others. And then these apostles birth and father children like Titus and Timothy, the early church fathers. And then 2,000 years later, here we are at Evergreen Baptist Church. That's how this has worked. People have handed down the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of the word from generation after generation after generation after generation. This is not a novel idea like we're a new pastor or this is uh, that just came up with this word, uh, concept of eldership. This concept of eldership has happened since heaven. Heaven has opened its doors and get, gave us the idea of how to care for his church through fathers. So now let's apply this to the evergreen church fathers. This is where I want to apply this. I'm giving you one practical reasons why This is absolutely necessary for the generational health of our church. Reflecting on the last six years, basically our transition, I think it was a relational issue largely. There was a big part of it where we just needed time to get to know each other. I needed to do funerals. I needed to do home visits. I needed to do weddings. I needed to sit down and have coffee and lunch. I needed to just be here basically. Are you going to even be here long-term, pastor? I just needed to be here. I just needed to get my wife, my children in order. All that was all there going on at the same time. Right? And so I, I think it was a relational thing. And a good friend of mine who's still part of our church said, you know, when Pastor Corey left, you came, as like getting a new dad. I mean, that's, that that's a good analogy. There's a lot of relationships there. And I just wanted to say this again. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I am super encouraged by people who've recently joined our church the last couple years. I mean, it's like, my goodness, thank you, Lord. But I just want you to know, those who have been here those six years, the whole six years, I just want you to know how you captured my heart. I mean, this is, uh, I feel the encouragement, the love, the support, the, the similar shared convictions. I, I just want you to know that feels me, that keeps me going, just just to share my heart with you on that. But I want to share, share this there's going to be a new senior pastor someday, either by death or it's just time to get a new pastor. It's going to happen again. Some of us might not be around, but it's going to happen again. And my hope and goal is to set up our church family, by God's grace, to have generational health. so it's not contingent upon one, uh, one person. I mean, think about how hard that it was. I mean, think about that. As you're sitting there right now, you may be thinking about friends that have left, uh, different ministries. I mean, you're wondering what in the world's going on. That was hard. But imagine with me just for a second. A group of fathers that are known, that have loved the church well, who guard the doctrine, who guard the direction of the church, are going to be there. You remove a pastor and you bring in a new pastor, it's still going to be hard, it's still going to be difficult. But think about doing this with a group of men, a group of fathers who are known and loved already. That's a whole different transition, church. That's absolutely a different transition. Where this group of elders or fathers guard the truth, they guard the generational health of our church. They have a unified heartbeat. So this is what we're doing. This is what we've been doing for years. We know who we are. We, we need to maybe a new preaching person or a new preaching person from within. But this is who we are. And church, rest assured, we're going to keep doing it. See, eldership is critical for the generational health of the church. It's by God's grace that we're at where we're at right now. It's amazing. I couldn't be happier where we're at right now. And why does' it have to be a group of elders and maybe not just one senior pastor? I'll tell you why. Coach Carroll's able to reproduce himself, but you don't want me to reproduce myself in a Christian way. okay You'll gain some of my strengths. certainly you might gain a lot of my weaknesses too. You don't want that. I've shared that a hundred times. The goal of discipleship is to become more like Christ, and when you have a group. You'll get a fuller, clearer picture of Christ because everybody has different gifts, different talents, different training, different strengths, different weaknesses, different uh, hurts and wounds. You need the whole picture. I certainly, God willing, would love to be a big part of that, but you need the bigger picture. You need a bigger group of fathers. 1 Peter 5 One and two, as Steve read, one church father, Peter, speaks to the other church fathers, the other elders. Therefore I, Peter, the other father, exhort the elders, plural uh, plural elders among you as your fellow elder a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd or feed and lead the flock of God among you, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly, willingly according to God. You see that, church? It's a group of men that have the function of pastoring and overseeing. That's what fathers do. Fathers are the person feeding and caring and leading is what fathers do in the home, but certainly in the church as well. So just to finish up here, what is the aim of this series? What is the aim of this series? Number one, to set things in order at Evergreen Baptist Church for generational health. Number one, I would love for us as a church family to journey together, to be able to recognize, as you hear more about elders and the necessity for elders, to be able to recognize, hmm, who are the fathers of our church? Who fits the, uh, the qualifications, character, convictions, home life? Who is this? Who 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 is this? Who's been already actively loving on the sheep already here, with or without a title? Which lay and which staff people can we think about? Eventually, later on, as we go down the sermon search, I would love to hear your feedback. Email me. We all have a responsibility of searching out, recognizing who God has appointed to be an elder at Evergreen. That means your opinion and eventually a vote of, to uh, vote these elder candidates, in, including myself. Who has been fathering Evergreen Baptist Church already? That's number one. Can we help do this together? Number two, perhaps right now your heart is burning right now. And you say, man, maybe God is calling me to be an elder. Praise God. that First Timothy 3 says, anyone who aspires and desires to do this, this is a good desire. So I want to encourage you in that. However, let me give you something here. I'm going to have you count the cost here a little bit here with me. Friendships and relationships, they could be strained. You might have less friends. That's the bad news. The good news, your friendships will deepen. Energy, you're going to be tired. That's the bad news. That's the cost. But the good news, you're going to be fired up that you're being used by Christ in a very unique way. I mean, nothing is more exhilarating than this. Nothing is more exhilarating than this. Ease of life. It's going to be harder. This is crazy. Why would you volunteer to do this job? It's harder. It's harder. But I tell you, this will make you more of a precise man, more calculated, more strategic in how you spend your time, your energy. You will be way more precise in what you're doing. I mean, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, brothers. I mean, you're going to lose your hair like me. You're gonna, <laughs> you might, you might, or you might get gray hair. Something's going to happen to you because this, this is not a, a long-lived thing. You know, there's an expense here, but it's phenomenal, it's a phenomenal uh, opportunity. And uh, basically, we're looking for men who love the gospel, who love the gospel, who love the church well. This, In essence, we're looking for good, loving fathers. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time to preach about your son. Thank you, Father, that you are the eternal father who not only chose us before the foundation of the world, you've shown that you known us, you knew us and you loved us from the very beginning. Thank you that you fathered apostles who would continue the work of the ministry of Christ, who would father church fathers, who would be faithful to further the work of the apostles, and now to us today at Evergreen Baptist Church. I pray for our church here, your church, Evergreen Baptist Church, that you would make known who the fathers of the church are so that we could care for your flock for generations to come. Thank you, Lord, for this time to minister your word, and I pray that the church is encouraged that you, God, are in heaven, and you are our heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.